0: Well, it's that sort of time of year when people are starting to think about traveling to somewhere on holiday. And uh, maybe some of you in the past, has anybody been to Corinth? No? Anybody been to San Francisco? Yeah? A yeah, you know, couple of folk, a few folk. 20 years ago, In my old guise of being a scientist, I attended and presented a couple of papers at a a military technology conference uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I didn't know what to expect from going there, from going to this place that has the second highest density of population. In America, after New York City. An area that's got that history of earthquakes and gold mines, a history of being a major naval base, the place of maybe the formation of hippie culture, and the root of the summer of love back in the 60s. The growth of the gay rights movement there. Chinatown. The rise of the electronics industry in what we now know as Silicon Valley. What would I see there? What would I discover? Would I still see people with flowers in their hair? Or maybe not. Well, actually, when I first arrived there, I didn't see very much at all, because the thing that I had not expected in California was freezing fog. And it was a January evening, and just like at Heathrow that morning, Frisco was covered in fog. You know, when you think of Californian weather forecasts, you don't think of them talking about black ice on the road. But of course, it's a diverse place. And why am I telling you this? Well, you might not have been to Corinth. Some of you have been to San Francisco. But San Francisco and that image that we have of it, perhaps still today, A tightly packed cosmopolitan city which has drawn people from across the world. A port-based economy having become an entrepreneurial business capital. A place with very liberal views on sexuality. A place with a large military establishment you could be thinking of either place. Corinth in the first century or San Francisco as it was in the latter part of the 20th century when I went there. And in that same vein of thinking these are kind of similar places, you might think of how hard it would be to evangelize in that community. Or maybe to establish the very first church there. But Paul had been to Corinth. He'd met people and shared his faith. He had told them of God's love and that Christ had died on the cross for them, and the church became established. And this letter is to that church, but it is also to us, because this is a letter to all who call. On the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a message for each one of us who have already come to faith. Now you can read about Paul's first visit to Ephesus in Acts 18. But you can also see in the book of Acts what Paul had been through before getting there. You'll see he actually arrives in that city, a bit of a a broken and a bruised man. He is an apostle, but before Corinth, as he shares the word, In the places that he's been to, there have been arguments and riots in the street. In the places he's been to, stones have been thrown and people beaten. He's been chased, indeed hounded, out of towns. And then he went to Athens. And while the council wanted to listen, it was just to hear the stories not to really have open ears and think about what Christ had done for them. And so Paul walks away from Athens and comes to Corinth. And so the place that he is writing to Is a place that he has visited, but a place where he sort of regrew in faith. It's a place where people do start reconnecting, where the gospel comes to first Jews and then Gentiles, where despite all the difficulties, hearts and minds are won over, and a home is given that he can preach and meet with others. It's a time and a place of regrowth for Paul. And it's a place that he spends 18 months. So he's writing to a place that he really loves with his heart. He's writing to a people that he has known. He's writing... Saying, you know what God's word is because I shared it with you. And he writes and tells them of God's love yet again. It's clear, I hope, as we go through this summer, that you will discover that he wants to walk with the people because he knows them well. He wants to lead them back onto the right path when they have strayed. He wants them to understand things for the future. He wants to build relationship stronger he already has a relationship with them but he wants to strengthen that and strengthen these people's relationship with the Lord God and I think the method of that walk the whole purpose of the letter comes out in these three verses that he opens the letter with he identifies initially, his own calling to be an apostle. Now, an apostle is more than a messenger. More than simply somebody that's telling a story. But an apostle is a representative of God or a delegate of God. someone who is able to bring more than simply a story, but is able to bring it alive. And it's like the role that we might think of of an ambassador for, to a foreign nation. You know, An ambassador does not simply host parties and hand out Ferrero Rocher it's not as simple as that. The ambassador is there to protect our citizens when they visit that land. They have to speak up for what our country is about. They seek peace and cooperation between the nations. That's what the apostle is doing. They're seeking to tell the good news, to say this is the story of Jesus and the hope that we can have in him. But Paul demonstrates his purpose by mending relationships, by bringing people together, by engaging with individuals and saying, I know your concern. This is how we might move forward. This is how we can be stronger. And then Paul goes from declaring that he is an apostle that has been called by the Lord Jesus Christ to thinking about how the people are called. Although Paul was the storyteller, the preacher, the mouthpiece, he stresses that this is not a call of his making. It's the call of Jesus. And it's a change. And it's a change that Jesus makes in all people's lives when they confess. when we bow down and confess as we have sung there becomes a change and the people are sanctified they, we, the church are holy people now I know From conversations that I've had over the years in this place and other places, that sometimes the word holy is not something that we like to think of for ourselves. We're quite happy to say you can't see it because it's in black on black, but it says Holy Bible. Yes, the Bible is holy. We might think of the church in general being holy, the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. But to think of ourselves as being holy, sometimes we push that concept away. But the believer is holy. The believer is a saint. You are saints. Not because of something that you've earned. Not because of a miracle that you have done. Not because you're perfect. I hate to say it, but you're not perfect. Neither am I. It's not about being good. It's not about doing turns. It can't be earned. But the holiness that we have is a gift of love that we receive when we bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord. And when we declare that, when we repent and choose to follow him, It is the perfection of Jesus dying in our place and his amazing grace towards us that makes us holy. We are holy because we are God's people. He makes us holy. And he calls us to be that holy people. And so much of the letter that we will find is about, are we holy in the way we live our lives? Do we declare our lives in thought and word and action to reflect who we actually are called to be? The people that we can be, holy people, right with God. Other thing we see in verse 2 is again about being called. Paul uses the word church. Ecclesia is the word. But quite literally, Ecclesia means a group called out a group of people called out and that's what the church is it's not simply a gathering but it's a group of people that are called out called out of the world to be together Again, Paul is stressing this calling. That God wants you. God loves you. God wants you to be together with other believers. All of God's people are in the church. And although we are often sloppy with our language about how we use that word church, we use it to refer to a building or to one particular church, we might talk about our church or my church. It is actually God's church and there is one church There is no uh, John Cleese and the two of Ronnie's, I look up to you, I look down on you. None of that. We are one church. The church is one church meeting in many different places, expressing itself in different ways. But it is the people called out called out of the world to be God's people and to, go, to do God's work. And this letter is addressed to all of us. But what is that work? What is it that we're called out to do? Paul names himself an apostle. A particular calling, but our calling is to be the church, to be Christ's body. And we are to be the body that is equipped by the Holy Spirit. And we are to be the body that engages in God's mission. Not the church's mission, it's not ours, it's not for us to choose, it's not the world's mission, but it's God's mission that we are to be a part of. Seeing that all come back to the Lord, that all have a chance to hear the word all have a chance to know his love all to have a chance to experience grace and the mercy that god has our context is not corinth our context is not san francisco but it is our community where we live And so we must bear witness here, remembering who we are. And we do this not in our strength, but we do it knowing that God's grace is with us, that the Holy Spirit will guide us, and that the Lord wants us To know his peace. And so, let us be his people. Amen.